Our topic tonight out of the book of Ezekiel, as we continue in our Ezekiel study out of the book chapter 22, uh, in No One in the Gap. Starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? And here in reference to the bloody city is referring to Jerusalem. Will you judge the bloody city? Will you judge Jerusalem? God asking Ezekiel twice, what authority do you have? Who are you to judge this city? Who are you to judge Jerusalem? Will you judge them? Will you judge them? And uh, this, uh, I saw a person one time, he had quite a record uh, with the police, and uh, on the back of his neck he had a tattoo that said, don't judge me. And, uh, and so here's another on the man's chest, only God can judge me. And God will judge <laughs> each of us. And, uh, and actually, the Bible says, don't tattoo yourself. So he, certainly that might come up in the judgment. <laughs> but uh, they don't judge, you know, and you're quoting um, Yeshua. He says, uh, don't judge, lest you also be judged. And so similar question being placed to, to Ezekiel by God. Son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? And then God answers his own question and says, yes. Show her all her abominations. So yes, there is a time to judge and there is a time to pronounce judgment upon, with God's calling, upon certain situations. God calls us to be able to know right from wrong and to be able to proclaim what is right and what is truth and what is not right and what is not truth. Now comes another story when we condemn others, but being able to delineate in the Bible what the Bible says and to present that and, and place that before the people. Yeshua said, do not judge, lest you also be judged. He just ended it, don't judge. Just know that as you judge, so shall you be judged. And so God care, commanding here Ezekiel to judge and to present and proclaim and show her all her abominations. Verse 3, say... The Lord God says, the city sheds blood in her own midst, that her time may come, and she makes idols within herself to defile herself. And they had plenty of idols in that day. Archaeologists are digging them up all the time, confirming what the Bible said. And today we might not have little figurines that we pray to and put on our shelves, uh, in certain circles, we do, or it does, people do. Um, but we do have our own type of idols. We have other type of idols in society today. Uh, and anything can be an idol, anything that we place before God, anything that becomes our form of worship. And it might not be necessarily an actual prayer of worship, but anything that we put higher than God in our mind, anything that becomes more important to us than God. And a good test of that is, is where do we spend our time? What do we spend most of our thoughts upon? Are we spending most of our thoughts and our greatest devotions upon God or upon other things? How we spend our finances. That's also a good indication of who has our attention and who we place first in our lives. So do we spend our time and our adoration upon ourselves? Do we spend more time looking in the mirror and concerned what people think about me? as opposed to looking into God's word and being concerned of what God thinks about me. Who has our attention? Are we 
concern for others? Do we uh, spend, uh, put things first? There are many things that we can put first. Cars, houses, finances, uh, boats, leisure time. And not that any of these things are wrong or bad to have, but where do we put them in relationship to our experience with God? Even family and people we can place before God. That might have been why Abraham was tested in sacrificing his son. Abraham, what is more important to you, your son or me? Who are you going to put first? And so we might have a, uh, a person that is our idol, maybe our spouse, maybe our children, maybe our parents. Who do we obey first and foremost? Is God most important? Or maybe our boss, or maybe our career, or maybe ourselves. Do we put ourselves on a pedestal and worship ourselves, all concerned about how our Facebook page looks to others and how we are looking in, 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 in the eyes of society? What is our self-esteem? Do we build ourselves up? Are we concerned about ourselves or are we concerned about God? Who has our attention? Who has our thoughts? Who has our heart? Verse 6, look, the princes of Israel, each one has used his power to shed blood in you. And it would be very easy to go through this chapter and to look to others and look at various other, uh, other individuals or corporations or governments and point the finger at how they're using their power and condemn them and, and, and judge them. But I'd like to take the time as... as God told Ezekiel, yes, show them their abominations. And so let us allow God's word to convict us and show us what areas, what are our idols? What areas are we using power trips upon? And we might not be in a position of great authority, like a government official or, or a CEO of a large corporation, but we may have our own influences. We all have various kinds of influences where we have been given by God authority and power to use. How do we use it? Are we using it to shed blood? Now, we might not have killed anyone, but we can destroy someone's reputation. We can kill people in lots of different ways. We can cut people down. We can use verbal abuse. We can use silent treatment and power. We can use our influence over our friends in our circle of friends to ostracize someone else and to get others against that person because we're against that person, because we have a rift with that person. We can get our family against someone else in the family and shun them and bring them down with our power, with our influence, or at work, in a work circle, in a work situation. We may be in a position, we may be a CEO of a company, we may be a supervisor, and we can unjustly use power in a wrong way and... and uh, embarrass people and, and hurt people in unkind ways and unloving ways and unnecessarily. How do we use our influence? How do we use our power? We can uh, use our power in our home, over our spouses or over our children in a controlling and a manipulating way that is ungodly and not right. How do we use the authority an influence that God has placed upon us. In you they made light of father and mother. It's very popular today to 
look down on authority figures, parent figures, a lot of cartoons have the adults as idiots and the children as being in control of the family. And it's in our society in lots of different places, but how about ourselves? How do we treat our mother and father? Do we pay respect to them? Do we honor them? And we should be able to honor them doesn't always mean to obey them. There are times where our parents might ask us to do things that are not according to the Word of God, that are not right, and God needs to come first, but we still also should have a respect for them. There are societies still today, it's getting less and less, where uh, the elderly are respected because of their long life, because of their experience, because of the wisdom gained in years of life. But unfortunately, that is dwindling, and we still should respect our elders, we still should respect people. Uh, the Bible says, uh, the, on gray, with gray hair, that there should be a respect just with living life and living to a certain age. We should respect our birth parents, but also others who play a parental role in our lives, spiritual leaders, or even governmental leaders. We may not agree with them, but God has allowed them to be placed into a position, and there still should be a respect for the position honoring our mother and father, but we've made light of them and degrade them and put them down. In your midst, they oppress the stranger. We should be kind to the stranger and turn the stranger into a friend. Get to know the stranger. And again, it's so easy to look at other organizations or governments and, and how they're treating the stranger. But do you know your neighbor's name? where you live? Have you let them continue to be a stranger? How are you treating the stranger, your neighbor, in your apartment complex, or in your condo, or in your neighborhood? People at work, maybe people even in the congregation that you've allowed to remain as strangers to you. How do we treat people that we don't know, that we come in contact with? Do we use our time and opportunities to get to know them, to befriend them, to show them kindness, and to turn them from a stranger to an acquaintance, to a friend, to the family of God? In you they have mistreated the fatherless and the widow. How do we treat those that are in difficult situations because of circumstances, financial circumstances, financial troubles, or, or difficult situations. There's a lot that we can do for the fatherless, those that have lost their parents. And it's not as dramatic now. We don't have the death rate as they did then from wars and other situations that there were many, many orphans. But we still have many orphans among us. The Department of Children and Family is flooded with children. And there are many ways that we can minister to them. Or, or there's many people who have parents still alive, but who are estranged from their parents. And we can be a surrogate parent. Or there's many people who have parents who are not believers, and they don't really relate on the same level. And we can be godly parents to them. There are many people who don't have a spouse, and there's many opportunities that we can help them. Single women or single mothers helping around their house, doing some simple repairs, 
There's many things that we can do as individuals and as a congregation to help. And even widowers might need some help with some cooking, bringing some food by, and ministering and helping them out. Do we have a heart and care about those that are lonely and in troubled situations? And do we look for opportunities to lessen that burden and help them? You despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. Ezekiel talks a lot about the Sabbath. Of course, the Bible as a whole does. And we did a whole sermon here recently. It's still on, it's on shalomadventure.com on the topic of Sabbath out of one chapter out of the book of Ezekiel. But here he mentions it again, that they despised the holy things and profaned God's Sabbath. God's holy day, what God has blessed, what God has sanctified, what God has set apart for holy use. And they will be judged according to how they've treated God's Sabbath. In you are men who slander to cause bloodshed. Slandering, backbiting, criticizing, gossip. Slander, it's horrible in society today. Sometimes I'll read a news article and I'm interested to see what people had to say regarding that article. It's one thing to know what the article writer thought, another thing to know what the editor allowed to be published, another thing to think about what do the people think. It's all scanned down to see and, and sometimes people can be so rude and so nasty towards the author of, of that article or someone will post something, a video of something of themselves or something on YouTube or something and people can be so mean. You know, like the old saying, if you don't have anything good to say, then don't say it. That's one thing to have constructive criticism, and we can be helpful. It doesn't mean we have to be all rosy and everything. Even roses have thorns, thorns, right? You know, every, doesn't have everything have to be sweet and you know, coated in caramel and and positive. But it can be positive with constructive criticism and and helpful correction. But it doesn't have to be slandering, condemning, cutting down, mean spirited. Especially as believers. How do we treat one another? And not only with our words, but with our thoughts. Because as we've thought, also we have done. And those who eat on the mountains, right? So no more eating on the mountains, no more picnics in the mountains. At least we don't have to worry about that here in Florida. We're saying we don't have mountains, so we can still picnic. What is it referring to? What does it mean eating on the mountains? It's talking about the high places, that they set up idols on the high places and would bring offerings to the idols on the high places and then would eat the food that they sacrificed to the idols. False religions. We have so many religions now mixed in people's minds. So many things have infiltrated it into the, the presence of Bible believers that are not in the Bible. Just this week I read something, and something happened, and, and, and people, this person was thankful that people uh, were praying for him and all the positive energy he was receiving. What does that mean? Positive energy you're receiving. Where's that in the Bible? Give person positive energy. Where in the Bible is someone said, oh, thankful for the positive energy I'm receiving from everyone. That's Eastern mysticism. That's... It's not from the Bible, but he's thankful for the prayers. Who knows what kind of prayers? Thankful for the prayers and the positive energy. So we've 
incorporated all these things, and we have many gods in our minds, that's not the Bible God. That's not the Bible truth, that's not the Bible religion. It's not from the scriptures, it's not from God's word. We mix these things together. This whole list here, is, most of it's from Leviticus that he's quoting, Ezekiel's quoting. And it's God, of course, telling Ezekiel what to say. So God is quoting what he quoted to Moses. All of it's from Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 19. So God's word being consistent all throughout. And not to have any other gods before me. You know, we've rejected God's word and we take in our own thoughts and, and our own feelings. And, and so we profane the Sabbath and slander others and, and bring in other gods and have this whole postmodern thinking where lots of different religious ideas are all mixed together. There's a reason there's different congregations out here in the, in the city and in this country. I don't all agree. And yet we'll put it all together like a smorgasbord. Like going over to Denny's or somewhere and getting a little bit of everything or, or more like a, rather like a, oh, I forget, a, the buffet, what's the one? You get all different, you can have Chinese food, you can have Italian food, you can have American food, you can have all this kind of stuff. You can put it all on the plate together, mix it all together and just blend it all together. In your midst, they commit lewdness. Lewd dress, how society has changed dramatically in just the last few decades on what is appropriate dress as far as modesty and deportment, what is appropriate, what is shown, what is advertised in magazines or on billboards or in airports, shows, stores, pictures in the windows. And you men uncover their father's nakedness. I'm not exactly sure what that's referring to. We have a couple of things in the Bible. We have where Noah's, one of Noah's children goes into his tent and uncovers his father's nakedness and is condemned for that. You know, I have some references that if a person went into their father's wife, that was an uncovering of their father's nakedness. So sexual immorality would fall into that. In you, they violate women who are set apart for their impurity. A reference to what the Bible says about when a woman goes through her monthly menstrual cycle, it's be a, I believe it's seven days after the menstrual cycle to, to, to abstain from marital relations. And again, that was back in Leviticus, and now here, hundreds of years later, it's being mentioned again in the book of Ezekiel. So obviously God felt it still applied. God's word does not change. One commits abominations with his neighbor's wife, another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law, and another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. Again, sexual immorality, incest. Pornography. Various forms. Horrible sins taking place in the world and even among God's people. 
secret sins. God can give us victory over all of these sins. He lays these out for us and shares them with us in love so that it can bring conviction to our hearts, so it can show us our carnal nature, so it can show us what we're really like and who really has our heart and who really is first and what is really best for us. None of these things aren't for God. That's not on a power trip that he, that he wants to just control us and manipulate us and, and keep us from having enjoyment and whatever feels good. He tells us these things because he knows they're not good for us. Out of love for us, he warns us of these things. And more than that, he knows because of our carnal nature, until we come to the Lord, we'll fall into these things. And so he's provided a Messiah that can forgive us of these things and more than just forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and give us victory in all of these areas. Set us free from the guilt and the power and live in us and out of us. So it shows us how we can live in him. They take bribes to shed blood. Now you might not have taken actual money in a bribe to side with someone over someone else, but maybe we've been influenced Maybe we've pressured someone or been pressured in subtle ways. You might not get that promotion. You might not be able to keep your job unless you toe the line and keep silent regarding this lie or this wrong or go along with the party line in shunning this one individual. Using bribes and friendships well, we might not be friends with you anymore either. Oh, it doesn't have to be said directly that way. But the indication there is this person is on the outs and so we use pressure, bribes that way and we want their acceptance, we want their friendship, we want that position, we want to keep the job and so we are influenced and we bought in or again we've used it upon others to bribe them, to get them to agree with us certain incentives to get people to go along with what we want at the expense of someone else. You take usury and increase. So unjust means of gain. And similarly, you make profit from your neighbor by extortion. Well, we not, might not have a retail store and selling stuff and ex, ex, might not own a gas station or an oil company and raising the prices beyond reason, letting it jump 20 cents in a day or some other way, shape, or form. But maybe you sell some stuff on Craigslist or on Facebook Marketplace or some other way, maybe a garage sale. Maybe you sold a home or a car and have not told everything about it that needs to be known. Maybe the paint job to cover up the rust and hide the defects and hiding things and to deceive. To get a profit unjustly. Maybe at work, maybe we lied on the application. Extorting profit from the company. Maybe some unjust dealings to profit ourselves at the expense of others, or even corporations. My brother told me an experience he had yesterday. He was at the mall, 
and he went and bought some, some items at, at one of the shops there, and then he walked down, he was walking down the hall, and, and a guy came running up to him and, and pushed $50 at him and said, you dropped this over at the store. And my brother said, I don't, I'm not carrying any cash, I paid with a credit card. I didn't have any cash in my wallet that fell out. The guy continued to push it. No, it must have been you. He said, no, it wasn't me. There were some other ladies in line there at the same time I was. Maybe it was them. And the man went back looking for the ladies. So easy to take profit unjustly in many different ways. And have forgotten me, says the Lord God. And that's probably the worst of it all. And that's the one that sets all the others in place when we forget God. When we have forgotten about him. Oh, we might still come to services on a regular basis. But do we remember him in the morning? And put him first in the morning before we go about our day? Or are other things more important to us than God? Do we run off without saying hi to him? Do we run off without thanking him? Any day we wake up and, and our name is not in the obituary is a good day. Although it's not a bad day to have your name in the obituary when you know the Lord either, you know. So. But we, every day we can praise the Lord. His mercies are new every morning. So we forget him as we go about our duties. Checking our phone messages or our emails or our schedule for the day. And at the end of the day, we pause to say goodnight to him and thank him for the things of the day. Have we forgotten him? Do we forget him day by day? Do we forget him in our activities? When we get so busy in the day, do we forget that he is ever-present? Do we forget that we can rely on him? Do we forget that he's watching with us and that he's present with us and the words we say are heard by him? Do we forget him? Anytime we worry or get our sad or fret, or fearful, it's only because we've forgotten that he's there. We've forgotten his promises. We've forgotten his goodness. We've forgotten his power in the past. We've forgotten how he's helped others. That's why it's great Bob reads these stories and reminds us of people who've experienced God in modern times. And we've forgotten his work in our lives. The only thing we have to fear for the future is if we forget how God has led us in the past. Have we forgotten him? Have we forgotten to pray? And sometimes we pray, and then when the prayer is answered, we forget to thank him. The pain is gone. The suffering is gone. The bill got paid. The situation worked out. It wasn't as bad as I thought. I didn't actually get fired. And we forget to thank him. I got the job. I got the thing I wanted. It didn't rain today. It did rain today. Whatever we forget, we pray and then we forget to thank him. We've forgotten him. When we fall into these other things, it's really only because we have forgotten him. Because he is ever present to help us in our time of need, to give us power and victory over every temptation and over every sin. And so when Satan comes to tempt us with any of these items that Ezekiel brings to us, it's because we have forgotten to rely upon him and call upon him to give us the strength we need to avoid sinning. 
Her Kohanim have violated my laws and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. And so me, in my position, have I forgotten to, and neglected to point out the difference between right and wrong, truth and error, to violate and encourage the violation of God's law, profane God's holy Sabbath and God's holy things. Don't make a distinction between what's holy and not holy. Don't make a difference between the unclean and the clean. And again, a lot of these things are right out of the book of Leviticus, and so I have no doubt that he's referring here to clean and unclean foods. And God told Ezekiel to, yes, judge the people. And he's saying this just prior, just, just a few years, a few months before Babylon comes in and destroys the city the bloody city. And if God allowed these be the reasons that the city gets judged, and he doesn't apply those same standards to us today in these last days of the judgment day, then in the judgment, this generation, that generation will rise up and condemn God. How dare you judge us according to those things and you let them get a pass? that you didn't hold them to the same standard. Didn't you love them as much as you loved us? Why'd you allow them to have all those problems? Why didn't you warn them about the diseases that come from sexual immorality? Why didn't you allow them to know of the diseases of not eating right and living right? Why didn't you let them know of the heartache they were causing upon other people by slandering them and, and using power trips over them? God's judgment is the same all throughout. The judgment he placed upon Lucifer and kicking him out of heaven and one-third of the angels. The same judgment he placed upon Adam and Eve. The same judgment upon Jerusalem will be the same judgment he'll place in the last days. And those who teach otherwise will be condemned for doing so. So making a difference between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy, and have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths. So again, he brings in the Sabbath in relation to the people and in relation to the teachers who are not teaching about the Sabbath and even teaching to profane the Sabbath or a different Sabbath from a different God, from a different place, from outside the Word of God. And then God is profaned among us as a result. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as I mentioned last week, the book of Ezekiel and the book of Jeremiah and, and the books of First King, uh, Second Kings and Second Chronicles that delineate this time period, spend chapters and chapters, a big portion of the Bible is used all for this short 20 or so period, years of period of time. It's a lot of the Bible for a very, very short period of time. Why? Why did God spend so much, and Obadiah and other books, why did God spend so much time on this point in history? 
because history will repeat itself and he's talking about the last days. The destruction of Jerusalem symbolizing the destruction of this world and the warnings that need to go forth. God's love for the people, God's love for the city, God's love for the people in the city, that it wouldn't be destroyed. It wasn't God's plan, it wasn't his desire for the temple and the city and the, and the state to be run over and destroyed, taken captive and killed. And yet it will happen again. And God will have to destroy this city, this world. I sought for a man, verse 30, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. God didn't want to destroy it. He was looking for someone to stand and make a wall, someone to stand in the gap regarding the people. And then he says, but I found no one. How sad. How sad. And he couldn't find someone to build a wall of defense against the sins of the people. Someone to stand in the gap. Now maybe Ezekiel was thinking, what about me? What am I, chopped liver? I've been doing all this. I've been laying on my side. I've been preaching. I've been hated. What's going on here? What about Jeremiah over there? He's having a hard time. He's thrown in prison, thrown in a dungeon, all this stuff. He's been warning. He's got chapters and chapters. He's got more chapters than I do. What's... And they were interceding, and they were praying, and they were doing their part. But for whatever reason, their status, their situation... They were not in a position to be like a David or like a Moses to stand up to the Pharaoh, to stand up to the Philistines and make a difference that changed the land. They tried, but the people they were preaching to, it's kind of like Abraham. Abraham stood in the gap between God and Sodom and Gomorrah and he pleaded with God for the cities. And God went from 50 to, if there's 50 righteous, I won't destroy the city, down, down, down to 10. Abraham stood in the gap. But still the city was destroyed because there was no one in the city. A lot was there, but no one to stand for the right. No one to stand to make a change. And God's looking for people who are willing to stand and stand up for God. Willing to stand in the gap, though the heavens fall, though they get ridiculed, though they get maligned, though they get hated, though they get misunderstood. But people that will stand for God. People that will build a wall of defense to protect God's people. People who are in a position to do so. We may not all be in a position to do so, but we can all be in a position like an Ezekiel, like an Abraham, like a Jeremiah, to be praying and interceding in their behalf. But even in that sense, we're still nobody. Even Moses and David were still nobody. We're still nothing. It was God who worked through Moses. It was God who worked through David. This reminds me in Revelation where John sees the scroll with seals upon it. And he begins to cry and he begins to weep. 
because there was no one who was worthy to unseal and read the scroll. And he wept. And then he looked up and he saw a lamb as if it had been slain who was worthy to open the seals and unroll the scrolls. There is one who is worthy. There is one who has stood in the gap for us and has received our punishment for us, who has borne our sins upon himself, who has stood as a wall of defense for us and who protects us from the darts of Satan that come upon us against the accusations of the devil and he has taken it all upon himself and has died for our sins, received our punishment. There is one who has stood for us. And he's standing right now and interceding in our behalf at the right hand of the Father, pleading his blood, praying for us, ministering for us, ever ready, never sleeps nor slumbers, reaching out to us and crying out in our behalf. And we can run under his banner and be safe and protected in him. That doesn't mean we won't have problems. It doesn't mean that this flesh won't be destroyed. It doesn't mean they won't kill our body. It doesn't mean that our names won't be made trash here on this earth. But in the record books of heaven, there's a wall against the devil and his lies and his slanders and his accusations. And God seals us in his book, places his hand over us, places his blood over our record of sin and washes it clean. He has stood there for us. There is one who stands in our behalf. But the choice is ours. Even though he is standing there, even though he's already pre-sacrificed for us, even though he is pre-atoned for us, we have a choice like Sodom and Gomorrah to reject it. We have a choice like the bloody city to reject it or to accept it and allow it to apply to our lives as well. And so as we pray together, prepare to pray anyway, let us think on these things and Maybe God is calling you to repent of some sins. Maybe something as we went through the list that God gave to Ezekiel that applied to us individually or corporately as a congregation. In a moment when we pray, we can surrender that before the Lord and lay it at his feet and receive his forgiveness, receive his cleansing because of his sacrifice for us. We can lay it down before him and receive his spirit and receive his power, receive his word in our hearts and our minds, receive the Holy Spirit to give us the power to walk rightly and to do justly, to manifest love and kindness and gentleness, but justice and goodness and truth as well. Or maybe God's convicting you there's some area where he's asking you to stand in the gap and speak up in behalf of someone else. Maybe there's someone or something God is 
convicting you of is asking you to stand as a wall of defense, to take the blunt of it, to take the bruises, to be a wall. So then in these last days, when God comes to take his own, he won't have to say, there was no one who was willing to be a wall for me. There was no one who was willing to stand in the gap for others. If you're willing to be used by God to be a wall for others, if you're willing to be used by God and stand as a bridge for others, stand in the gap, help lead people to God, help lead people in the way of salvation. It's not, we can't save anyone, but we can be used by God in showing people the way, in standing there, in bridging the way, and helping them. If you're willing to, so that when God comes, he's not able to say, there was no one there. In these last days, if you're willing to stand for God, if either the, any of those areas that we read first, any of those sins apply to you, or if you're willing to stand for God, stand in the gap for others, be a wall and build a wall for him. If either of those area, any of those areas apply to you, as we pray, I invite you to stand with me and ask God to do his work, ask God to fill us with his spirit, so his spirit comes into us and he gives us the ability to stand as a wall, as he gives us the ability to build a wall, as he gives us the ability to protect others, to stand for his truth, to bridge the gap between God's word and God's truth and others, or to repent of some sin that he's bringing to your mind. If any of those areas apply to you, I'll invite you to stand now as we pray, and only if they apply to you. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you for your love for us in showing us right from wrong, bringing conviction and sending your spirit to show us sins in our lives, in our minds, in our character, in our actions, in our past, in our present. We thank you for forgiving us and we thank you for cleansing us. We thank you, Yeshua, for your sacrifice in our behalf. Thank you that you are worthy Thank you that you are a wall of defense for us. Thank you that you are in the gap for us, bridging the way from earth to heaven. Thank you that you are the bridge. We thank you that you are the ladder leading from this earth to heaven. We thank you for your forgiveness. And use us also, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. To live righteousness out of us. To make us living examples. And if we're placed in a position to be an influence and to, to build a wall, then use us to stand in the gap and certainly use us in interceding and give us a heart that intercedes for others. Give us a heart that prays for others, that is concerned for every single lost person on this world. Use us and minister through us for your honor and for your glory. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.